Hey everyone, it's Chad Harms, pastor of Creekside Bible Church. Thanks for taking some time to listen to my latest sermon, a sermon about encountering Jesus. It will play in just a minute, but before it does, I want to invite you to be a part of our Easter weekend. We have a ton going on, from a Good Friday service to an Easter egg hunt to our Easter service and Easter brunch, and I think all of them are going to be awesome. And if you're in our area, I would love to have you be a part of them. You can get all the information you need at wilsonville.church slash Easter. That's wilsonville.church slash Easter. That page doesn't only have information about our Easter weekend. It also has a button to register for our Easter service. If you do that, there's some special benefits like we'll meet you in the parking lot, introduce you to some people, and help you get your kids checked in if you have kids. But for Easter, the first 25 people to register will get an Easter basket at the Easter service. And so I hope you'll take advantage of that. We'd love to be able to bless you. And again, love to be able to see you at our Easter weekend events. Hey, one more time, thanks for taking some time to listen to this sermon. I hope that it'll help you to learn and live more fully for the glory of God. So my landlord was over yesterday, and uh, we live in a condo. I love living in a condo. I'm like a 75-year-old man when it comes to what I value in a housing situation. My wife and I bought a house. Uh, we actually bought it three months before we got married. We have lived in it since the day we got married, pretty much after our honeymoon, I guess, since a week after we got married. Uh, and then we moved up here, and, and we moved into a condo up here, and so we, we rented here. And I'll tell you, I, I hate I hate everything about owning a house, like uh, the responsibilities, the yard work, it's just like you have to pay your bill, which I have to do anyway, but you know, like, I mean, the bank is a, is a much greater taskmaster than Jeff is, our landlord. I really, I'm not built to home own, and one of the reasons that I'm not built that way is because I can't build anything, and I can't fix anything, and so I love the guys who come by on Thursday mornings, they do our yard work, but even more, I love when something breaks, we pick up our phone, or we send an email, and we're like, Jeff, something's broken, and it makes me feel, I know this is just a cultural thing, it makes me feel a little less manly when I do it, but I still really like it, and so Jeff is over yesterday, and we got a faucet that's leaking, and, and Jeff's under, Jeff's like, he knows how to do things, Jeff's, you know, like a manly man that would never wear green pants, you know, and, um, and Jeff is, he's under there with his wrench, and he's fixing things, and he's talking about going to stores that I've barely ever heard of to pick up the hardware, you know, and, and, and I really like I like this relationship that Jeff and I have. He's one of my favorite people. I break it, he fixes it. I break it, he fixes it. It's great. My kids break it, he fixes it. Right now, our floors are scratched up. My children have scratched them up. Jeff's fine with that. He's like, I want to put in a new floor anyway. I'm like, this is the kind of guy I need in my life. Why aren't all the people in my church like this? You know, I break it, you fix it. I break it, you fix it. This is a good relationship, right? And here's, let me just turn a big corner for you. I think that we want Jesus to be more like our landlord than like the Lord of Lords who reigns and rules in heaven. What we want from Jesus, and I think what stands in the way of us sometimes truly encountering Jesus in a life-changing way is that we want Jesus to be the person where we break it and he fixes it and we break it and he fixes it. And that's, that's the type of relationship that we want to have 
with Jesus. We just want to be like, Jesus, you know, I, I messed up my marriage. Hey, fix it. Jesus, like I've, I've been bad about eating right and exercising. Now my health's bad. Fix it, you know. Jesus, we're financially, you know, because we, we bought so much stuff at Christmas. It's bad. Can you just fix it? That's, that's what we want from Jesus. I break it. You fix it. Or it broke and it wasn't my fault and please fix it. We sometimes have those moments too. But we know and, and we don't like, right, that, that this isn't how Jesus works. Sometimes things are just broke and they, and they don't work and, and Jesus doesn't do miracles. I, I talk about this a lot, but one of the worst times in my life was the, the few weeks before uh, and the time leading up to the few weeks before my daughter was born, which is over three years ago now, and so we're on the other side of this, but, uh, you know, I have a pregnant wife in the middle of the summer. Whose idea was that, right? But, but also, um, I, I was living in a two-year period where I felt, and, and this is hard for me to explain without going into details, but I felt so spiritually attacked every time I tried to pray it, it was like this darkness that, that was overwhelming and scary. And, and I've told you this before. I mean, there's a person, a man in this church who came over because uh, Bryn had to work early the next morning. And he spent a night with me watching movies and then sleeping on my couch because I was in such a, a dark place spiritually. It was very difficult for me. If you're there, let's talk. You know, we can talk about that. Uh, and then, and then... Our beloved dog, who was our child for, you know, some of our, a, a big chunk of our marriage, he, he got sick, uh, his leg swelled up, we saw, talked to three different vets over the course of about two weeks, this is just before my daughter was born, it went from like cancer to torn ligament to poison to, he just died, like he just died, we didn't put him down, in our car, driving down the road, he died, and, and we, I am, I am, I'm crushed. I'm still, like, I'm still struggle uh, with those moments that we lived through. And, and, and even in before that, my, my wife had had two miscarriages. The pregnancy with Hazel wasn't perfect. And, uh, and, and you can imagine what uh, seeing, we saw two vets, but, you know, seeing two vets and talking to a third vet, like what that cost us, right, the financial implications. And then I can't even make this up. Both of our cars stopped working. Uh, one ran out of oil, Brent's fault probably, um, and um, and and I don't even know what happened to the other one. It just it just like died. It just stopped, and uh, it's like what? I'm about to have a kid. You know, they're not that cheap, and and now I don't have any money, and the dogs cost us a lot, and we don't have a car, which is bad, right? Like, what is happening in my life? And I think it's really easy to look at God in those moments and say, wait a minute, like, aren't you big enough? Aren't you strong enough? Like, come on, can't you be more like my landlord? I break it or it broke and you just fix it, like make it better. And he didn't, he didn't. None of that got better. I mean, we got new cars eventually, you know, it wasn't miraculous or anything. We went out and bought new cars and we didn't have money. I mean, there was no miracle in there. And and it's easy for us to say, and, and this is the series, right? Encounters, we're talking about encountering Jesus. It's really easy to say, why would I want to encounter Jesus if Jesus isn't gonna fix it? And for some of you, I know it's like this. It's like, 
I have encountered Jesus, and he didn't fix it. And, and so what's the deal? Like, why serve him? Why worship him? Why care? Maybe you're living in those moments right now. It feels really broken. You've spent time in prayer. You've looked to God. You've been super genuine. You've expected a miracle, and God hasn't shown up. And you're like, what's the point in all this? It's never going to work. He's not going to fix it. And I think that, that what makes it, you know, sometimes even worse is there are a lot of preachers, and I'm not a person that bashes other preachers. I love the pastors in this town. Let me just clarify uh, and set up this next statement. But there's a lot of preachers, especially those who end up on TV and many who end up in front of you on the internet, that will lie to you. And they'll say, if the encounter with God is big enough, if your faith is strong enough, then God will fix it. And people are drawn to these preachers. I mean, it's easy to build a church telling people, hey, just come to God, he'll fix it. Give us more money, he'll fix it. Grow your faith, he'll fix it. We went to a church, I visited a church once with a couple friends from this church and and, and it was incredible, this thing that, that took place, and not incredible in a good way, during the offering being passed around, so we're supposed to give money, they had us do one of their three declarations. And in this declaration were these statements, we're believing God for checks and more checks. We're believing God, this is the one that's killed me ever since, inheritances. Like, wait, as I drop, is this, are we believing that if I put the money in the offering basket, then my dad will die, so I'll have his inheritance? Like, is that really what we're declaring right now? And it went on. We're believing God for cash showing up on the ground, and, we're be- and it's like, all you're doing is triggering. If you drop something in, then you're going to get something out. God's going to fix it. And so I think we just are like, what's the point of an encounter with God? I've tried it. It didn't work. It wasn't fixed. I listened to the guy on TV. I, I listened to that sermon on YouTube that's so popular. And, and, and nothing's been, been fixed. And, and so I think that all of us, we have to at some point wrestle with this idea. What does an encounter with God matter if an encounter with God isn't going to fix it and here's my proposition for the the morning uh, hopefully for the week an encounter with Jesus will not always fix things but it always leads to forgiveness and this morning we're going to look at this incredible story one of my favorite stories by the way even when I was a kid like I've loved this story forever I loved this story before I really even thought about this story I love this story as much as the Lion King and Aladdin when I was a kid I just love this story and this story it, it really shows us that Jesus in an encounter with him sometimes it fixes things but it will always offer us forgiveness and and this story comes to us in Matthew chapter 9 and and this is how it starts Jesus stepped into a boat crossed over and came to his own town some men brought to him a paralyzed man lying on a mat and so last week if you were here you heard this but I'm going to say it again Jesus had gone over to a different region he'd crossed the the lake and and he'd healed this demon possessed man he'd cast out these demons an incredibly weird kind of story and uh, not one of my favorite stories but an amazing story and he crosses back over he gets to his hometown which was probably Capernaum and he goes into the house and it's probably Peter's house if you know Peter in the Bible and And these guys show up. They bring to him a paralyzed man lying on a mat. And and it's interesting because 
this version of the story is not the version that I grew up with because this is a much longer story in the book of Mark specifically and in Luke that gives us uh, a lot better details. But what's pretty much happened is that, that Jesus comes back, right? And, and the people are stirred by what's happening in the life of Jesus and how he can fix things. And so Jesus goes into Peter's house and the crowds follow and they're filling this house so much that nobody can get into the house. It's totally full. And, and Jesus is sitting there and, and he's preaching to them. He's teaching them from the Bible. And these guys are like, we can't get in the door. They're carrying their buddy who's lying on this mat. He's paralyzed and like, we can't get in. What are we going to do? And I'm pretty sure they're in college because of what they do next. Like this would only happen if you know the story, like only a college thing to do. And when they could not get, get near him, this is from Mark, Uh, 2-4 because of the crowd they removed the roof above him and when they had made an opening they let him let down the bed on which the paralytic lay I love like they removed the roof like um, like that's an incredible line one of the most underrated things in the whole bible like you should memorize John 3-16 very famous and you should memorize that line right there they just removed the roof they were that desperate to put their friend in front of Jesus that they're up there found a shovel or whatever and they're like we'll just get you in you know a little clay roof like we got this don't worry buddy you know um I don't know if drinking was involved but like we will get this guy to Jesus he's going to get to Jesus and they lower him down that's the part of the story I loved. The rest of it I didn't really think about when I was a kid. It was just that, like how cool is that, that they wanted to get to Jesus so much that they dug a hole in somebody's roof. I love that. And then in verse 2 it says, When Jesus saw their faith, he said to the man, Take heart, son, your sins are forgiven. A couple of things here. First, I think there's an incredible desperation there that we don't have to put their friend in front of Jesus. If you're a Christian, this story should be really humbling uh, because these people, they get it, right? Like the thing I said we should pray about earlier, there's a lot of obstacles here. I mean, they have to travel. They got to carry a guy on a mat, and, and yet they, they're so desperate to put their friend in front of Jesus that they're willing to dig a hole in the roof and pay whatever consequences that was going to uh, have for them, be there for them. But then this, this thing happens that's totally unexpected. Jesus sees their faith. This is an important word in the Bible. Even if you're not a Christian, you probably know that Christianity is a religion of faith, right? Uh, and the Bible.org, great resource. I know I say that a lot in sermons, but man, if you've never been on the Bible.org, it's an incredible resource for studying the Bible. It, it, it says this about that word. It is the firm persuasion, the conviction which is based upon hearing, not upon sight or knowledge, a firmly relying confidence in what we hear from God in his word. And then it says, and I love this, it parallels conviction. What we do sometimes with faith, and and I think what we've kind of made faith in modern Christianity is just mental belief in something, but that's not really what the Bible means by faith. I mean, it even says in the book of James that demons believe this whole thing about Jesus. They believe it, and they shudder at it. It scares them because they believe it so much. And so belief is in the Bible, or faith in the Bible, is not just like saying, I agree that that is true. 
Faith, faith is, is a belief that something is true that causes a level of conviction and, and a conviction that causes us to do something differently. In the case of the Christian faith, it's, a, it's a, a belief that leads to a conviction that Jesus is, in fact, the one who saves and then we give our lives to Jesus because of that faith. I think the difference between faith is, and just kind of mental belief is, is really well illustrated. I'd never thought about this before, but in this passage of Scripture, belief would have been a bunch of college guys with a paralyzed friend saying, hey, I heard Jesus in town, and I totally believe he could heal you, dude. That'd be awesome. And then just staying, right? Like, wow, that's great that Jesus can do that. That's so cool. Faith, faith is saying, hey, Jesus is in town. We believe that he can heal you. We're gonna pick you up on this mat. We're gonna walk there and we will tear the roof off if we need to to put you in front of him because we believe that Jesus can heal you. That's faith. Do you understand the difference there? And, and I think that, that far too often in American modern Christianity, we tell people, hey, just believe. Just believe. And what we mean is as long as you think this is right, but when the Bible says faith or belief in Jesus saves you, it doesn't mean that, that you can just believe something because the demons believe that and we don't believe they're going to heaven or that they have a good relationship with God, right? We all can agree on that, I think. Uh, and, and what it really means is that, that we believe it in such a way that we're willing to give our lives to it. We're convicted that this is true and we'll do what Jesus says will do what Jesus wants because, because we know he has the power to save. And I just hope, I mean, one of the things God's called me to, and I hate to be a Debbie Downer, and I don't like that God's called me to this, but, uh, but like, I just, want, I just would hope that you would really think about whether or not you're a, an actual Christian. Because just because you believe this Jesus thing, and just because you show up at church on a Sunday doesn't mean that you've placed your faith in Jesus. Placing your faith in Jesus is more closely associated to this. I believe Jesus died for my sins and he rose again so that I could go to heaven and I will give him my life. That's the part we forget to tell people. I will give him my life. I will become a follower of Jesus. And these men show up and Jesus is like, man, this isn't just some belief. I mean, look what they've done. They tore the roof off the place. And I can just picture the religious leaders all mad. And I could picture even more the landlord really mad, you know, like, what is happening? I'm going to have to fix that. And he, he sees this, this faith and he says this thing that, man, I think they hated. He says, take heart, son. Your sins are forgiven. And you know what I'm going to say if I'm one of those college kids? We didn't come here for forgiveness of sin, Jesus. We came here so he could walk. Never really thought about that before, right? Like, that's an interesting thing for Jesus to say. It's like, no, I, I, I can just picture him upset. Like, pff, can't believe we walked all this way, you know? I mean, goodness gracious, I gotta, I'm going to go to jail for the roof and you can't even walk still. I mean, this is terrible. What they want from Jesus, even though they have faith, even though they're willing to take action in that faith, they don't want the right thing. And, and they don't really understand all that they need to understand about Jesus yet. We have the privilege of doing that. I'll explain it in a second. But, but they are looking for a healing. They are looking for Jesus to be a fixer. And, and Jesus is like, hey, I'll save you. That's a big difference. And in this story, we just see, and the story's not done, but it's like, 
we would be upset. We're looking for Jesus to fix things. And Jesus is in, not in the business of fixing things. He helps in things. He, he, he does fix certain things. But that's not his primary aim or goal in your life. The primary aim and goal in your life is to save you. To forgive you for your sins. I mean, it's an incredible story because it, it, it just is, it's like we kind of who are Christians are like, wow, that's cool. But the guys and the people are probably like, no, I don't know, that's, that seems kind of disappointing. Let me, let me tell you what will, what will make an interaction with Jesus important is when you, when you come to a place where you understand the importance of that forgiveness. Jesus does fix us, not always in the way we want. He doesn't always give us new cars and save our dogs and make pregnancies go perfectly and give us the best marriage that's just like on the romantic comedies. But Jesus will always fix our sin problem if we'll let him. And Jesus, if you don't know this part of the story, it's really important. I mean, they don't understand this at this point. This isn't in their heads. But Jesus, Jesus is going to, the why, the, the why behind how he can forgive people is like he, he's, he's going to die for those sins. And what we believe about Jesus as Christians is that he lived sinlessly, he lived perfectly, he never did anything wrong. He didn't do anything that was bad, anything that he regretted, anything that he knew God didn't want him to do, anything that he knew was a jerk move, he didn't do any of it. And and he lived for 30 plus years like that, never one time committing any sin. And at the end of his life, because of the religious leaders, and we'll look at them in just a second, he, he was arrested and then mocked and then beaten and then whipped and then crucified and he died and what the bible tells us is that that death was not just brutally bad physically but what made it so miraculous is that he wasn't just dying a physically bad death he was dying uh, a spiritually hellish death he was paying the sins for the sins that you have committed that i have committed that we have all committed now, look, I mean, I know our world doesn't want to talk about sin and, like, that's kind of like a, you know, a 1980s thing or whatever. Like, we've, we've tried to, the world's tried to get rid of that idea. Like, if you don't feel bad about it, it's not a big deal or whatever. But here's, look, let me just look up here and just pay attention to this. I know that every one of you feels bad about something. Like, you have done something, and by the way, me too, I should say that. I know that all of us have done things that we feel bad about that we wish we wouldn't have done, that we wish we'd have a do-over, that we wish we could hit the reset button on. We know it was, we know, we know, no matter what the philosophical flavor of the world is currently, we know that we did something wrong. And, and what the Bible is saying and says is that Jesus died for that thing. I just told this story a couple weeks ago, but I'll tell it again. When I was a senior in high school, the most important encounter I ever had with Jesus was an encounter where I felt bad about things I had done to some person, and I confessed those things to that person, and when I got home that night, it was just like Jesus looked at me and said, hey, you didn't sin against them, you sinned against me, and I died for it. And for the first time, I thought about how awful I am how awful I can be, how many things I had done wrong, and I was like, Jesus, you died for 
all of it. And I hit the floor and cried for hours because I felt the weight of my sin, but I also felt the forgiveness of that sin. And in this moment, Jesus looks at this man. He's like, I see your faith. I see that you guys are believers. You don't understand it all yet, but I see your believers. You want to follow me. You want to be with me. You want to be my disciples. And so I'll take away, I'll take away your sin. I forgive you. That's radical. And I know you want a new car, right? And you want a perfect marriage and you want good health. But the forgiveness of sin is not something to just be skipping over. It's not like, oh, well, I don't need Jesus because he doesn't give me everything I want. Because Jesus is not always in the business of fixing, but he's always in the business of forgiving. And forgiveness is an incredible gift. An incredible gift. The religious leaders, they know what he's saying. And this is what it says in verses 3 and 4. This, some of the teachers of the law said to themselves, this fellow is blaspheming. Knowing their thoughts, Jesus said, why do you entertain evil thoughts in your hearts? I mean, these religious leaders, they know what he's saying. He's saying, I have the authority of God. He's basically doing something that only God has the right to do. And blasphemy is just this idea of dishonoring God in a very... Uh, strong way. That's pretty much what it is. It's dishonoring God in a very strong way. We all dishonor God, but very few will just, you know, flip God the bird. I never, I didn't see that coming. That's not in my notes. You know, like flip God off and say, I don't care about you. You can do whatever you want to me. I don't, you're not on my radar, whatever. And and what they accuse Jesus of here is is that, like looking at God and, and profaning him. And Jesus, this is evil. And let me tell you, these religious leaders, these same people, they don't like Jesus through his whole ministry. They're eventually the ones I mentioned earlier. They're going to kill Jesus. And, and, and there's several reasons why. And I just stumbled upon this in a, in a book this week. And, and I loved it because, because I, I don't think much about why these religious leaders hated Jesus so much. I mean, he seems like a nice guy. He's healing people, right? I mean, what's not to like? But Jesus is threatening to them in ways that I think if we really think about it, then we can connect. Jesus threatens their idea of spiritual purity. He is interpreting scripture in a different way than than they're used to. He is, is saying that their traditions are less important than they thought they were. And so he threatens their idea of spiritual purity. He threatens their job security. Like, if this guy is such a big deal, then why do people need me anymore? And so he's a threat to their jobs. He's a threat to their popularity. I mean, that's said at the end of Jesus' life. They're like, look, the whole world's following him. Like, people aren't going to like us as much anymore because he is standing in contrast to us in so many ways. And then Jesus threatens their physical and national security because he's starting a movement. And the Romans who are oppressing the Jewish people are not going to like that movement. And, and it might be torture, literally, for the Roman people. And, and so, I mean, it's not without reason that they don't like him. I don't think there's a good reasons to not like Jesus, but we can at least understand them. I mean, think about the reasons that maybe you are rejecting the forgiveness of sins through an encounter with Jesus because it's like, what will this mean for my beliefs? Maybe you have some like very, you know, strongly held philosophical, theological, scientific beliefs and you know that becoming a Christian, you know, like you just don't know. What's that going to mean? I mean, do I have to do I have to believe that God created the earth in six literal days because I don't think that right now. 
now? And like, what, what does this mean? Like, do I have to, like, do I have to change my political stance? Do I have to, you know, be nice to people that I'm not nice to right now? Right? Do I have to vote for Trump? You know, like, like what, what does this look like for me if I, if I become a Christian? And, and I think people worry about that. Like, will I have to change kind of what I believe? And you, I'm not going to answer that today. I hate to tell you that. I'm not going to answer. But, but it's not a good reason to stop yourself from having the forgiveness that you need. The other, the other things are like, I mean, what will this mean for my money? That's a real question, right? I mean, uh, do I have to give all my money to my church? Like, I mean, do I, can I keep working my same job? Like, I, I don't know what this means. Will I not be able to take shortcuts in my work? What does this look like? What does it mean for my popularity? Or I, I don't think that most of you over, you know, the, over my age care about popularity, but we all care about whether people like us or not, right? Like that's just human nature. We care about what others think about us. It's why you didn't roll in here with barbecue stains on your shirt, you know? I mean, we care about what people think about us. And, and embracing Jesus, we know this, it can cause people to think differently about you. After I had that encounter with Jesus as a 17-year-old kid, I mean, my friends, they said to me, this was the consistent refrain of my senior year of high school, we missed the old Chad. Where did he go? We missed the old chap because my jokes weren't as funny and I, I wasn't as cool anymore, you know, and, and, and it's a real thing. That's a fear, right? What will my friends think if all of a sudden I'm like, hey, I'm a Christian. I'm like, oh, you're a Republican now? You know, I mean, like, hey, I'm a Christian. And they're like, wait, like, so you're not going to drink with us? Like, I'm a Christian now, so you're, you got weirder? You know, I mean, there's, these are stereotypes and, and we fear if we embrace Jesus that people are going to think them about us too. We do. And then, there's, and then there's this, like, I mean, there's our physical and national security, and we don't face that as much in our country today, but all over the world, people have to ask themselves the question, is Jesus worth dying for? Is he w- worth being imprisoned for? And so this is no different than it was for the, for the Pharisees and the other religious leaders. We just don't experience it in America as much. Nobody's going to lock us up for our beliefs. But there are people in our, in our world today that have to ask themselves, if I encounter Jesus and I embrace him and have the forgiveness that he offers, I'm going to be arrested and tortured and maybe killed. Is it worth it? You know, is that worth it? Because Jesus might not fix everything. And then Jesus says like, which is, because they're mad at him, he's like, which is easier to say your sins are forgiven or to say get up and walk? And uh, that, uh, this is argued about like in theological circles, which one of those is easier? Uh, so it's not Jesus' best rhetorical question when 2,000 years later, we're not exactly sure. But for me, the easier thing to say is your sins are forgiven because I could say that to you right now. I have no power to do that, let's be clear, but I could just say that to you and nobody could say, no, they're not. I'd be like, yes, they are. No, they're not. Yes, they are. No, they're not. But I can't say to a paralyzed guy, get up and walk and be like, I did it. Well, he's not walking. It doesn't work. And so Jesus is like, hey, I could say your sins are forgiven and it not be true, but, and, and this is what it says, But I want you to know in the next two verses that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sin. So he said to the paralyzed man, get up, take your mat, and go home. Then the man got up and went home. That's a funny ending to me. I only 
kind of chuckle because like seems like there's more story there like all right jesus good like no thank you <laughs> come out with this yoga mat that's how i always picture it um but he said look listen this is so important that you may know that you may know sometimes jesus miraculously meets our felt or physical needs and if he does that you need to understand that he's not just doing it because he's a fix-it man. He's doing it because he wants you to know, to be more firm in your belief that he is the one who forgives your sins. Uh, my brother-in-law, Matt, preached a series here on miracles, and uh, what he did so well was, was he said, look, miracles don't exist in a vacuum. There's no... There's no it's not just like God is like, oh, I'll just kind of do that and do this. Miracles always happen in order to point to God. Uh, the word signs and wonders are used almost interchangeably in the Bible. Uh, miracles, right? It, it's pointing to something. They are signs that show something. And if you've experienced any miracle in your life, that's just God saying, hey, I want you to remember. I want you to remember me. I don't want you to remember who I am and what I've done for you, I've offered you the forgiveness of sins. Sometimes Jesus will fix things. He does it in this story. Sometimes Jesus will show up. He'll make your marriage better. He'll miraculously give you money. He'll fix your body. We see miracles in this church. We pray for things. We don't talk about this enough, and I wish we did, and we're working on that, and we're actually working on this. But like, we pray for things, and then I'll look back like a year later and be like, wow, those things happened. We didn't even talk about it. We just like prayed for it. It happened and then we moved on and prayed for the next thing. But the reason God says yes to our prayers in miraculous ways is because he wants us to remember that he is the one who forgives our sins. That he wants to have a relationship with us. That he loves us. That he cares about us. That he died for us. That he rose again. That he's going to come back and take us to be with him. That's the reason that we see miracles in our world it's not i hate to tell you this it's people don't get to see miracles because i don't know they're extra special or because god was in a good mood that day or because you prayed so perfectly that god just had to do it like i just said the right things and i, I say that and i hope that takes the pressure off of you because i think sometimes we're like if i just 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 then maybe god will and that sucks. Like to have that pressure like, oh man, maybe, maybe, maybe my mom will not have cancer if I just pray this right or if I just pray a little more or if I just stop sinning. The miracle doesn't exist because you're perfect. It exists because God wants people to understand that he is the one who can forgive sins. He is the one who forgives sins when people place their faith in him. In Acts 2.38, the very first sermon ever preached after the Holy Spirit descended upon people, the church was born out of this sermon, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. In that very first sermon, it wasn't Peter saying, here's, and this, we're so guilty of this, I'm so guilty of this, here's how you fix your life. Here's how you can have a better marriage. Here's how you can be a better parent. Here's how you can do better in your finances. Here's how you can, you can you know, have health and wealth and prosperity and everything can be great for you. Here's the next self-help thing that we pulled out of the Bible. He says, no, 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 no. 
repent, give your life to Jesus. And what? He'll fix everything? No. He'll forgive you for your sin. This morning, what I, what I need you to hear and understand is, is really seen in this last verse, Matthew 9, 8. When the crowd saw this, they were filled with awe and they praised God who had given such authority to man. Listen, the crowd responds to, to Jesus' call that, to, to this declaration, I can forgive sins. They respond to it and, and they're like, Scared. That's what the word awe is in the Bible. It's like this, it's like a fearish, like amazement kind of feeling. And, and then they they praised God. And here's what I think. Man, if you're not a Christian, I think in some ways what you're looking for is somebody to fix everything. And I'm here to say Jesus might not. How's that for a sermon? but he will give you forgiveness. And that is something, that is something that we should be in awe of. And that is something that we should praise God for. I mean, like, let's just, just I, I, this is terrible and it's gonna make me sound like a cult leader and, and none of what I'm about to say is true, but if, I, if you just really were encountered me and you're like, I think that guy, Chad, has the ability to forgive my sins. I don't, there's nothing connected to me and the forgiveness of your sins, but let's just, like, if you thought that about me, what kind of awe would you have towards me? Like, you, you would, you would, even if you rejected me, you would, like, there would be a level of fear and like, wow, right? There'd be a wow factor to that. And that's exactly when these people encounter Jesus, they look at him and they're like, we believe. And they don't know what it's gonna look like. They don't know about Jesus' death on a cross. They don't know anything about that. But they're like, wow. And then they say, thank you, God. And so if, if you're not a Christian, like I just like don't diminish, don't Take for granted what an incredible gift it is that you can have your sins forgiven because, because you know that your sins, are, are they weigh you down, but also there's so many things that come out of that. I, I think that we find joy in the forgiveness of our sin. I think that we find peace. I think that we find hope. I think that we find genuine love in the forgiveness of our sins. But we also have these great external benefits. Like we get to be, we get to be more forgiving to others. We, we really learn how to re interact with other people. Frankly, the understanding of forgiveness of sins is the only reason that I can stay married in, in a decent marriage is because I, I have been forgiven of my sin and I look and, and I say, wow, how could I not forgive my my wife when she does something against me, which is super rare. Uh, but I, I, I think that we also have heaven to look forward to. I mean, the benefits go on and on and on. And, and we, there, should be, there should be a level of awe and, and you should praise God. And I, hope, and I hope if you're not a Christian, if you're sitting in front of me or if you're listening online, that, that you'll give your life to Jesus and you'll experience the forgiveness of sin. It's just worth it. But then there's us who are Christians and we have been for a long time. And we're just not excited about Jesus. And I think we're not excited about Jesus because he's not, he's not Jeff Rawson. He's not my landlord. <laughs> like something breaks and we're like, Jesus, please fix the faucet and it keeps leaking. 
right? Like, I mean, bigger things. Like, Jesus, like, I don't have enough money to pay the bill for this condo I live in. And uh, that's not true, I do. But, like, you know, like, I, I, like, we pray that, and then the money doesn't show up. And it's like, why should I be excited about this? Like, Jesus, I've encountered you, and you're not fixing it. And I think Jesus is in heaven going, you've encountered me, and I've forgiven and ultimately, that forgiveness will lead to everything being fixed. We'll live in a time and a day where there will be no more tears and no more sorrow and no more pain and no more struggle and no more stress and no more anxiety, no more worry, no more suffering, no more persecution, no more, no more. And it's all because of the forgiveness of sin. And so if you're a Christian who finds yourself in a place where you're like, What's Jesus doing for me? What have you done for me lately, Jesus? I just, I just hope that you'll leave here today and you'll be like, every day he forgives my sins. Every day he forgives my sins. Let me pray that that will happen. Lord Jesus, I thank you for giving, my, for giving me of my sins. Lord, I know that um, when I encountered you on my bedroom floor at 17 years old, you didn't fix everything in my life. Uh-huh. There's been plenty of struggle, plenty of pain, plenty of difficulty since that moment, Lord. But, but God, it changed everything. In a way that I hardly can describe to people, it changed everything. And I pray, Lord, for those who have not experienced that forgiveness, they've not had an encounter with you that leads to the forgiveness of sin, I pray, God, that you would change that even this morning, that they'd give their lives to you, that they'd place their faith in you, that they'd bow before you right now, God, uh, and they would say, Jesus, I believe that you died for me, but I'm under the conviction that out of that belief, I need to give you my life, and I am doing that now. I pray that that would happen this morning, and, and I pray, God, for those of us that are Christians, that, that can be numb to you, that can be forgetful uh, of, of you, that can find ourselves not excited about you, not praising you, not worshiping you, not glorifying you. I pray that you would draw us back and you'd remind us that you forgive us of our sins, God. You've forgiven us of our sins that we commit every day, and it was all done through your cross, Lord. God, we should be so, we, I mean, man, when we sing songs to you, when we pray to you, when we talk about you, it should just be so joyful and excited, God. Not because you fix, but because you forgive. And I pray that would be true of us. I ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.